I thank you very much. Welcome, one and all, again, to this amalgamation of time and space called Fuse Box. This is show number four, The Fifth Wall. More about that a little later. But uh, it's been uh, it's been a fun week. Uh, this this last week for me, I um, had a chance to uh, interact with. Uh, Frank Nora and PQ River on a cluster flux extravaganza. That was a lot of fun, and I hope that by doing that we can maybe uh, encourage others to join in. And uh, PQ had a, a pretty good idea there too. I, I think maybe the the way to capture all of that is let Google do it. <laughs> my uh, my idea was that everyone should just capture their own pieces and then I would stitch them together. But then I realized that Frank had been very fastidious there and ended up capturing everybody you know, at, at once. And I had encountered a little dilemma as to uh, how to interface all those pieces, at least my piece, because uh, there was a delay, of course, involved in all of that. There's a little latency and all that good stuff. So three-hour program of that length got a bit daunting. So I figured I would... <laughs> <laughs> defer to Frank's totally fine quality and let uh, let it go at that. But that was fun. So I uh, I thoroughly recommend anyone and everyone who is so interested we should try that again. And some other things that have been happening here. Um, I haven't mentioned uh, Eddie Murray before, but uh, I I have been an avid listener of his stuff. I love Cloudbase Forty Four. Um, I love the walks and all of that, and and I, I'm particularly fascinated with his latest excursion into the Philippines, mainly because it's so loud. That is the loudest place ever. My goodness gracious! Uh, it, and you know, it, you only get the the true depiction of how active that place is when he's like, you know, okay, now I'm in the in the hotel room here, and it's very different sounding. But the second he hits that street, man, whoa! There is some activity going on here. So, wow, amazing. But uh, yeah, I love it. Love that uh, thing. And I I, uh, I hope he can join us at, at some point in one of these shows because I know he's reached out uh, several times, you know, trying to uh, maybe get that happening. And it is difficult. I realize that. There's a lot of, a lot of folks have, you know, they have <laughs> actual lives and uh, things that pull them away. But I, I still say I think it would be be fun to do. And uh, just a shout out to uh, Bob, is that your real name, Lament? Uh, no, honestly, that was a compliment. Uh, and I mean it sincerely. I really enjoy you. As a matter of fact, I was laughing out loud. The other night. <laughs> I think this the, the thing is called seated. 
the the most recent one I've heard, and I was laughing out loud. But yes, thoroughly, and not not facetious in any way, my friend. I I mean the compliment sincerely. Um, and also, it was a, a topic that was suggested by um, the Meanderer, the uh, mention of Radio Shack, which uh, has yeah has been in the news lately because it's I guess it's going to become a phone store. I uh, guess that's its destination. So. Um, that's that. It's changing. But what came to mind uh, about all of that was <laughs> back in the... When when did they do that? It must have been in the late 80s, right? They came out with what we used to fondly call the Trash 80, the TRS-80, which was a, yeah, a personal computer, and it had the little glowing monochromatic screen, you know? But you see... To me, the thing that was interesting wasn't what you could do on it as much as what would happen when you first opened it. When you first started the machine, you'd get this little prompt that I think it was at the top left-hand part of the screen. Maybe it was the bottom, but I think it was at the top uh, that actually said, and now I know what it means, but back in the day, I didn't know what this meant, but it, you know, you'd have the C and then load. Well, you know, C drive loading and all that. But no, as, as, as a novice coming into this, it said Claude. Claude meant much more to me than anything else. That was a surrealist moment. Look, the machine is in Claude. Man, could be the end of life as we know it. Exactly. So I just, I just thought that was a, a very interesting word. And I don't know what that actually... Now, of course, we do. But at the time, it didn't mean anything. It was just gibberish but it obviously had some significance because it was on the screen at the very beginning so <laughs> Claude so it was also great to hear uh, Manny the mailman return to uh, the overnightscape central the other day I, I fondly remember Manny's contributions to Frank Nora's overnightscape over the years and uh, some of the actual I think they actually took several road trips if I'm not mistaken some some journeys and adventures and uh, so it was good to hear him again. I, you know, he too, I, I, I kind of hope find the time to maybe join us on one of these cluster fluxes um, in some capacity. I think it would be great because there's just so many uh, terrific folks on the network here. It, it would be nice to uh, kind of uh, chew the proverbial uh, internet fat. You know what I'm saying? That's disgusting. It does. It really does sound disgusting. But there we are. So I've had very good feedback to this program so far. So I'm very happy that it's um, being well received and it's certainly uh, providing uh, some more logs on the fire to get more stuff done. And um, so, uh, you know, one of the things I am looking at doing here in, in some subsequent shows is a, a series of roundtable discussions held at, oh, I don't know, local watering holes, because that's really the best place. We have access to a, a couple of nice places that if we go there at the right time, like, oh, I don't know, 8.30 in the morning, uh, and sit around and, you know, there won't be anybody else there. Well, there might be some from last night, you know, still hanging out. But um, that would be a quieter time to do it because I don't want any, you know, music and stuff in the background and all that kind of good stuff. And, and there's folks here that be happy to cooperate with that, particularly if they got a pseudo plug, you know what I mean? We're looking into doing that because I have some folks that I would love to just have sitting around a table. That could be a fun deal. Uh, will not be a disappointment. And on a slightly somber note, a friend of mine, Jamie Lawson. And uh, Jamie Lawson's podcast, it's called 
It was 20 years ago today. It's on iTunes. Informed me of this gentleman's plight. Um, I may have heard of this guy, but I, I, I must confess I have not been to, uh, prior to this anyway, had not been to his site. But uh, his name is Gordon, and it's either Skins or Skeens or Skennis. I don't know what it is. Not sure. Uh, it's the delight of the English language. You know what I'm saying? The tough coughs as he plows the dough. Exactly. Can't know anything unless somebody says it. Thank you. This, this gentleman has a site called pastdaily.com, and he's been putting up things like uh, news interviews and broadcasts and music and all the stuff uh, from our not-too-distant past and uh, pretty current in some cases. Well, relatively current. Because the guy's got what appears to be over 100,000 open reel tapes that he himself has made uh, of this collected data over the years, which is now amassed to something like one million hours of data, which he is slowly digitizing and distributing, by the way, for free on his website. He's probably been a pretty amazing resource for a lot of people. I mean, one of the things that was uh, pointed out to me is that as a young child, he, he used to borrow his, his, uh, his, I would imagine it was his dad's, reel to reel machine and uh, tape broadcasts off the radio onto these reel to reel tapes. And um, <laughs> some of us remember doing that too. Well, in his case, he, was, he had some very interesting timing because one of the broadcasts he had was from November of 1963, where he actually captured the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Yikes. Yeah. I don't know where the guy was living originally when that happened, but that's some significance, because I'm sure the spin that was happening right then, that he captured right then, was very different than the spin that it's become in recent times. So his dilemma is that he obviously has a large storage area where he's got to put all this stuff. I mean, 100,000 reels of tape. I mean, that, that almost rivals Mike Vrainy's something weird film storage vault up in Seattle. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty big. That's a lot of stuff. So he's got all this stuff in this uh, storage locker building, whatever. And he was uh, unfortunately just informed by his landlord, cue this music, that for some reason they are going to drastically, have already evidently, drastically increased the rent on this particular thing. And by drastically, I'm assuming we're not talking 50 bucks. I'm, I'm assuming that it's, if it's big enough to create a fundraiser to help him out, uh, it must be pretty sizable. So his dilemma at the moment is that he has all this stuff in there, which the landlord, in his infamous wisdom, has decided to uh, lock out. So Gordon can't get in there to get anything until the back stuff is paid and blah, blah, blah. And here we are again. So evidently, he has until the end of February to come up with this back rent. So he's created this uh, fundraiser idea on his site and um, gun to the head. I love that. 
where you uh, you can contribute a, a few bucks to help the guy out. And, and and so I'm putting a link in the show notes to this guy's site. So if if anyone out there is of the mind to help him out, please do. And if you can't do it monetarily, perhaps you can just forward the link to others who might. I think that would be a grand thing. He's obviously doing a pretty altruistic thing here in his own time. He's been spending hundreds of hours digitizing this material and cleaning it up and so forth. So uh, something, you know, the folks on this particular uh, listening audience and network can appreciate. Yeah, so if you can help him out, please do. So a wee bit of Vic and Sade update here for those who are still following the saga of this particular new production of Vic and Sade. Uh, I do have something to report today. Um, we have scheduled auditions now to take place uh, shortly uh, for all of these parts. Uh, there's one woman I've had in mind for Sade from the very beginning, and I think she's pretty much got that locked in. The, the other two characters involved in the script that we're doing there are so many people who could do this that it's really going to be hard. So what we've decided is is to kind of throw the door open to the, to the folks that we know and see who brings something cool to it. Because uh, this will be done, ladies and gentlemen, the old-fashioned way. We're going to have everybody in the same room. I know that's shocking. But yes, they will be in the same room at the same time. Um. <laughs> doing this. I, and I, I'm laughing because, you know, in my particular history, doing the radio shows that I've produced over the years, there were very few times we had more than two people in the room. <laughs> you know, they may, the only caveat was, yes, they had to be recorded in the same room, but not at the same time. So, yeah, there's that. And I've had fairly good luck with that over the years. But uh, for something like this, where the chemistry is so critical and it's so apparent that dynamic that was created in this show uh, in the original format. Yeah, we want to preserve that. And again, if you're not familiar with this, I would direct you to, once again, Milt, it's... vicinsade.blogspot.com Thank you! Where Jimbo has created an amazing resource of material about this program. I was just poking around in there the other day, actually, and uh, came across this, this bit of trivia regarding the popularity of this program, and I think it was either 1938 or 1942, where it was voted the most popular radio show, period. There were like 7 million people tuned into this thing at one time. It just mystifies me. It's like, you know, if I didn't know better, I'd swear it was one of Frank Nora's peps. You know, past editing paranoia. I don't, how did I miss this? Oh, well, whatever. So yeah, we, we are moving forward with that. And, uh, I hope to uh, have further information on that as it as it develops. I'm looking forward to it because we have a, a, a delightful crew to pick from, and they are all uh, eager to do it. So I'm I'm very excited about this. And again, that's part of the reason why I didn't really throw this out to the the whole community here is that we really need you to be here. <laughs> now, if you want to fly in, it's fine. But yeah. 
That'll be sweet. Um, <laughs> I really, it's just about being able to control the audio quality of this thing because, yeah, see, that's that. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm guilty there. I really want to make sure this thing sounds as good as possible. And when it's recorded in, 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 in a method that's popular these days where you really can't control that because people are in different cities and they got different ambient levels and all that stuff, we're not going to do that. We're just, we're going to go back to the old school and, and, Put everybody in a room and do it the way they used to and, and see if we can... I doubt we're going to create their magic, but we will certainly create some of our own. And now, a message from the Sunnydale Nursing Home. And by the way, if you have your Terry Gilliam hat, put it on now. Meanwhile, at the Sunnydale Nursing Home... talking about today. The title of this particular episode is The Fifth Wall. Now, you know the theory about the fourth wall in in theatrical terms, that's where the actors and everyone on stage or in the movie or wherever, even in the radio, access the audience and know you're there and know you're part of it too. Well, <laughs> one step beyond that, is the fifth wall. And that's where you're watching them watch them watch them. I suppose there could be a sixth, seventh, and eighth wall, but we're not going to do that. We're going to concentrate just on the fifth wall. And what this really means, ladies and gentlemen, is the fabric of reality, the actual operational structure of our so-called reality. Now, here's the thing. You know, I've been listening to Frank, as I've mentioned many times, for, for many years, the, the Overnightscape. And one of my favorite topics that he, he investigates frequently is just plain reality. And I adore that notion. I just like the subject of it. I like thinking about it. And I like talking about it. And it, it occurred to me that there, there are times, as I mentioned before, you know, I listen to a lot of these shows at night and because I don't, I, that was my default position. It wasn't like suggested, but I just, I enjoy listening to them at, in, at night, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes very late at night. And so it, it occurred to me, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to one of Frank's little rambles about uh, the fabric of our reality and is it. And I'm finding myself shouting out loud, agreeing and making gestures and all that kind of stuff and probably would arouse the suspicion of neighbors and things like that. But there it is. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. You know what? Yeah, we need to address this. We need to, 
we need to mull this over a little bit. Mull. Now, there's a word. Mull. <laughs> yeah, there's a word. It mull. Doesn't that kind of remind you of like an obscure science fiction movie, you know, that had like kung fu in it? Yep. Just like this. If you won't cooperate with us, maybe you will cooperate with Mull. You'll never take me alive. Yeah, like that. As I've been mulling it over, I've been thinking, well, you know, I think I'd like to address this a little bit. Just get the party started here. I have a fondness for lifting up the seams in this particular notion. Oh, no, not that trick again. Not that trick again. No, 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 really. I, I, I think this is a perfect venue for this kind of discussion and demonstration. You know, I really do. You don't remember what happened the last time? Yeah, I know. I, I, I know what happened. But well, all right. So what Milt's talking about and he's getting a little paranoid about is that the last time we did this. All right. We're, it's over here. Uh, here. It's, it's in the jar here. Uh, all right. This thing right here. Yeah. This is an aquatic prairie squid. Now, the deal with this is that the last time we did what we're about to do... I know! I know, okay? Chill. The last time we did what we're about to do, uh, this thing came through. And it came through, and I can't put it back. I I wouldn't dare, because, I mean, who knows what'll happen if you try to reintroduce something that's already been introduced into this reality back into the one it came from. Well, I don't know. I don't even want to mess with it. So it lives in the jar over there. When I was a kid, I, I, I always thought about, you know, the onion skin idea. What if this, this thing we're living in is really just a, a, a very thin veil hiding a reality beyond that one? And so, as any curious kid did, I went down and... You can try this at home. This you can go ahead and do it. As a matter of fact, I, I would urge you to do it. Let's let's do it. Right down here it, at the baseboards. If you uh, look at the little corner down there, you've all got one. Uh, now, if you and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do this because it's it's much easier. If you just right down here at the very base of the floor, there's a little tab, and if you pull like this, see. There you go. See? There. Now, this is central processing. But this is only central processing at this layer. There's another one beyond this. But right here, this is the layer right adjacent to us. Maybe even a little up. You know, it's like that that elevator that gets stuck between floors. Okay, so this is that that place right there. See what's going on here? There's all this. And now in here, these things here, this, uh, I have no idea what that is. But uh, I know that it sparkles and it kind of smells. And I'm, I'm not sure what that does, but you, you don't want to take that out. You actually don't want to take any of this out of there. You just leave that and uh, look at it because it's, uh, it's fascinating, I think. So, you know, I've had this theory for a long time, and I'm not joking about this. I'm not even joking about that. But I've had this theory for a long time that every time we go to sleep, all bets are off. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, everything gets reset. Now, you know, there was a film that addressed this, a couple of them, actually, 
uh, in recent times, Dark City, and there was even a uh, Soderbergh film called Kafka that sort of flirted with this idea. But the notion that when we go to sleep, we unplug from this reality and that things get jumbled up and that when we awaken, we may be reintroduced into an alternate timeline. We may even be introduced into a shuffled timeline <laughs> where things are just slightly different. I think Gerald McQuinn, my, my writing partner, once told me about a story where that actually happens to someone. His world becomes extremely absurd where people are wearing iguanas on their shoulders and all that kind of stuff, and that's considered normal because he got offset. His, his reality plane got shifted slightly, and they got introduced into this entirely bizarre place. Well, I just wonder about that. I just wonder. And here's, here's another thing. We, we talked about Frank Nora's theory about PEPs, past editing paranoia. We, we talked about that. I, I just want to add something that happened to me just two days ago. And again, totally real. Uh, you know how we can get involved in things. We look at the clock. It's, you know, 4 p.m. We look at the clock again. It's 7.30. It's because we've been really massively involved in whatever it is we're doing. I mean, it can happen to anyone. It does happen to everybody. Well, I had a weird thing happen the other day. I'm working down here, and I look at the clock, and it's like eh, 9.52. I take about as much time as it takes, you know, to move a piece of paper from one area to the next, and I look back at the clock, and now it's 9.55. Now, it didn't take me two minutes to move that paper, and I know for a fact that I wasn't distracted by anything else because it was literally like, that fast. Two minutes had skipped. And I don't know where it went. I have no idea. But it was clear to me that it did. It wasn't like, oh, well, you just saw the numbers wrong. They were just, you know. No, no, no. Something got excised. Two minutes got pulled out. Now, to play into some stuff that Frank has said, that sometimes things may have happened (laughs) in that two minutes that were so... um, egregiously bizarre, they had to redress the timeline for me. So I got reintroduced back in two minutes later. (laughs) I'm not sure. I don't know. But I'm willing to believe that as as sure as anything else. It's just a creepy feeling. And that whole day was like uh, you had one square wheel. You know, like things were not quite aligned correctly. You were sort of bouncing along and it wasn't really locking up. Very peculiar. That, honestly, is the first time that's ever happened. I have witnessed things that look like frames missing in your timeline, (laughs) where it looks like somebody's just made a little cut right there, and and things just sort of resettle, and and I don't know what that is, you know? But I don't know what any of this is, because I got this guy. So I'm, I'm just saying that things are not what they seem, and I think that's the, uh, That's the direction that we need to examine here. I don't know how many have seen Richard Linkletter's Waking Life, but that's a very interesting little movie. Both from the the content, the style of animation, and the overall message is just sort of... (laughs) compelling. It's a very interesting little piece. And even though you may have seen the ending coming when you start this film, it's not really about that. It's, 
it's about that whole experience and what things feel like in a, a dream state. I don't want to do any spoilers here, but they do address a concept in there that's very interesting. And I don't know how many have had this experience. I think there may be one or two out there who have actually experienced this. I, I know I have. It's called lucid dreaming. It's where you are actually totally consciously aware that you're dreaming and that you're controlling the action of your dream. When you do that, very interesting things happen. I think what it does is it's, at least what it did for me, was sort of reclue me into what is the actual difference between the experience I'm having right now in this, quote, dream state and the experience I'm having right now talking to you on this microphone. Sadly, not very much. The difference being that we can't quite affect the reality in the same way as we do in the lucid dreaming state. Things morph continuously. But uh, one of the things that was brought out in the Waking Life film was that when you're in the lucid dreaming state, try to look at numbers. Try to turn on and off a light switch and you'll find some very interesting things happening. First of all, there are no numbers that stabilize. Everything is sort of in constant flux. Light switches don't function. But what does happen is actually anything you think about. <laughs> That's a very interesting process. And, you know, there are those folks out there right now that tell you that that process works every bit as accurately in this world as it does in the dream world. And although I have no experience of that, actually, it might as well be. I suppose it's, it's, a, it's another layer of discipline and mental exercise in order to get to that place. But I am very interested in this whole idea because they, the lucid state and this particular state we call waking life does seem to have a lot in common. And every once in a while, very weird things happen. You know, I think uh, the author, Philip K. Dick, he, he kind of explored a lot of this, particularly in his later years. Um, I think he actually became obsessed by it um, in, in the sense that he was feeling that he was getting information from someplace other than his own inner mind. Somewhere, something was being beamed to him. And uh, so much of what he wrote kind of dovetails into this whole concept. And uh, it's an interesting notion, you know, and I, I don't... I. I can't say that it is or it isn't. All I, all I know is what I personally experience. And there have been many times, and I think probably for many of us, where there have been things that have happened, you know, that little thing you see out of the corner of your eye that skittles across the floor. You don't know really what it was. You look back and it's not your cat. You know what I mean? That stuff. The thing that, that looked like a thing and then you looked at it again and it was another thing. Eh. It's almost as if central processing wasn't working quite quick enough to make that telephone pole not look like some sort of monkey with a trunk. You know what I'm saying? That stuff. I don't know. I, it makes it a very interesting place to live. It really, really does. There's much about this that is curious and outside typical definition. Like this piece. <laughs> How's that for a segue? Masterful, Mr. Radio. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, this is a good place for this. Um, this, actually, this is a great place for this. Uh, a few years ago, we, we started a series called Moods of Chen, which are very much little mind puzzles for you in your ears. And uh, this one 
Uh, you just have to kind of take the ride, folks. Nothing is there to be that literal. It, it, there is a storyline, I promise you. But uh, it's it's kind of for, for you to unpack. And uh, thankfully, this is the sort of medium that you might want to return back to this one <laughs> to do further unpacking. It's very cool. It's called Domino. Starts awake at a sound like rain. Disavowed midnight train. Hey, there's something weird here. You guys, you guys want something loose? Guys, hey, I need to know what's up here. Time for mass. Special thanks there to uh, Shannon Day and Eric Newsom for their performances in that. Moods of Chen, 
domino. In further shows, there'll be a couple of more examples of that. So really, I think it's just healthy to question our reality. I just, that's my two cents. Because sometimes the things you think you see and you second guess yourself because you that couldn't have been what you just saw, eh, maybe it was. You know, the Hindus call it Maya, this place we live in, the the veil of illusion and all of the subsequent artifacts thereof. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. <laughs> and again, Frank in his uh, infinite wisdom there has in fact touched on this too, that this, this, this thing known as solipsism, the thought that this m- might be our singular ride and that maybe everybody else in our ride is either an illusion or a construct of some kind. And I would extrapolate that one further by saying, if that's true, what's really going on is the people in our lives, they really do exist, but they don't exist in our lives. They exist in another life that's existing in the same bubble, having the same sort of thing. So we actually may be people in their lives that are very different from who we are in our own. Oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, I know, but that's that's just a fun thought to think about. I heard PQ River uh, off the cuff mention the assemblage point, and I have to address this because, you see, Carlos Castaneda, for me, when I was about 17 or 18 years old, his first three books were probably three of the most important volumes I ever read in my life. (laughs) He, at that point in his time, Carlos's time, uh, when he first wrote those books in like the very early 1960s, they were considered anthropology. And the interesting thing about it is that if you read those books now, and and specifically they are like... um, the Yaqui way of knowledge, uh, a separate reality, uh, a, a journey to Islan, or however you pronounce that, whatever those three were, uh, the teachings of Don Juan, all of those books spoke to an enormous opening of consciousness. And this was really ahead of the curve. I mean, he was writing these books in the very, 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 very early 60s, 61, 62, something like that. Didn't really have you know, a head of steam of psychedelia to, to kind of port into. He was writing about this stuff well before that. And then, of course, that energy acquired Mr. Castaneda and, that, and the rest, of course, is history. But those are really interesting books. And I, I would still suggest anyone who has a quest for alternate knowledge to seek those first three out. The books he'd written uh, subsequent of that they get into some different stuff, but those first three are very, very interesting, and they kind of pave a an interesting pathway in 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 not only philosophy but in just a general way of life. I I mean seriously, for me, a lot of the concepts introduced in those books I carry to this day. Do we like break out the psilocybin punch now? Or? No, really, I do. Seriously. Oi. And. I think they're I think they're valid. I, I really do. I think there's there's something there that's 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 usable. And uh, this uh, this reference I made to the assemblage point, Castaneda said 
this was actually in later books, but he, he, he goes into this in very serious detail at one point. But what this is basically addressing is our vision of reality. It's like a radio dial, right? So we're tuned to a specific frequency at, at a particular point in our lives. The assemblage point deals with where that particular tuning is at our specific time in life. So if we adjust that assemblage point to east or west of its position that it's in, we might become cognizant of things a little outside of our realm of understanding. And if we don't have the, quote, personal power to understand those differences and uh, atmospheres that we're subjected to, it might cause problems and might even cause schizophrenia, which is kind of what I think he was describing. But those who are equipped with the knowledge when they shift these points can definitely deal with these alternate realities that we're all on. You know, he talked about two concepts that I have never forgotten. Um, one being the tonal and the nowel. Uh, the tonal, if it, I, I think this was roughly, I'm paraphrasing here, but his, his description was something like this. The, the idea of the tonal is the, the perceptions of things we have in the immediate, the things that we take for as a door, a window, uh, our immediate reality, stuff that we think is, is tangible. The nowel, on the other hand, is the stuff everywhere else. His analogy was, the tonal is the picnic, the nowel is the entire setting the picnic is taking place in. And in that particular way, that's a different perspective. The nowel really deals with things that are beyond the normal, beyond the reality that we can identify. The little skittering manta ray under your bed, yeah. Yeah, that would be, that would be nowel, that stuff. And I've always found that really fascinating. It's just a whole, a whole area of consciousness that is, uh, I think, many of us are introduced to and then don't have any context for where to put it or how to identify it or what to really do with it. But it doesn't mean that it ain't there. There was a book published by Philip and Phyllis Morrison. It was done, um, I think, as a, either the book came first or it was, I think it may have been done as a companion piece with Charles and Ray Eames, who were the British filmmakers. I think they were British. The book was called The Power of Ten. And what it does, basically, is take you from the extreme outer point of the universe down to a picnic and into the subatomic and beyond particle nature of life, all within a span of several pages, through photographs. And, and so the interesting thing that was brought up in all of that was how not dissimilar the extreme reaches of the universe are with the extreme reaches of subatomic particles and even our own bodies. Which brings me to this rather interesting piece that was uh, written by Jody Lorimer. And uh, I twiddled with it a bit. But it's a very, very interesting piece about dark energy. And uh, this sort of plays into this um, thing we're talking about with the power of 10. And uh, give it a listen. 
We are beings whose eyes harvest light. We know our world from what invisible rays of light bouncing off matter tell us, defining our reality. And so, the dark is confusing, nurturing legions of ghosts and things that go bump. Yet some people focus on the dark as being more nurturant, where we see constellations as dot-to-dot twinkles. The Mayans saw the dark spaces in between the light, forming sacred llamas and snakes. We ponder the night sky and are dazzled and uplifted by the billions of stars we see. But if you total up all the stars and all the galaxies in the sky, they add up to only 5% of the observable universe. 27% is made up of dark matter, and 68% is made up of the mysterious phenomenon called dark energy that only reveals itself to us as a phantom effect on the light we can see in the spinning stars. So empty space is not empty. It's full of darkness, the nature of which is utterly strange to us. And we see now that despite gravity, the stars are expanding further and further away from each other. Now, galaxies would never have formed in the first place if gravity had not been created by dark matter in the beginning, gathering the glittering primordial materials together like a great cosmic spider spinning its web. Dark matter particles are so commonplace that billions pass through humans every second, yet we don't know much about it. We are limited by our vision. Our light harvesting must be attuned to the darkness, the ultimate dark. And so, we build receivers for the darkness, as delicate as crystal eggs, clustered together like an involved seed, and bury them miles underground in abandoned mines, waiting for a spark of light to be generated by a particle of dark matter, finding its way all those miles under the surface of the earth to strike a crystal surface we have put there. Dark matter, we know, pulls things together. Dark energy that makes up most of the cosmos drives them apart. But we don't know why. There is a photograph capturing the scaffolding of space, the web of dark matter that lured galaxies into place. Sparkles of light, like twinkling islands in rivers of black. It looks exactly like a picture of the neurons that fire in our brains. The sparks of energy running along our own cerebral dark rivers, colliding like tiny spinning galaxies, generating thoughts and emotions, inspiring art, or slaughter, imagining empires, or disintegrating into dementia when the lights go slowly out one by one. They are perfect examples of a fractal. Zooming in with a microscope or out with a telescope reveals self-similar patterns repeating over and over in different scales. Twinkling island universes of possibility floating in the embrace of dark matter. While dark energy conspires to pull the primordial web apart. Carl Sagan told us we are made of star stuff, and now it appears we are made in the image of stars, and we each carry spinning universes in our heads, each drawn together by our personal dark matter and pulled apart by dark energy. It should come as no surprise. 
I just think that perspective is really interesting to explore. And I don't think it's accidental that both ends of the universe, quote, <laughs> that we're living in have a remarkable similarity. <laughs> uh, that's not accidental. Almost like it was waiting to be discovered, you know? I think that's, uh, that's kind of it for this particular show. The uh, Twisted Epiphanies program that I keep promising is uh, definitely coming this weekend. I am recording some interviews with folks that are involved in that. And uh, we'll begin that process, and it's it's one I hope you enjoy. And I hope you have enjoyed this rather bizarre, cerebral uh, exploration of otherness. And I promise I'm not going to stop. So uh, thanks again for pushing play on this. And uh, again, until our next cartoon. Cartoon.